moment tonight, revival in worship. Now, you have your Bibles open to Nehemiah chapter 8, right? A few minutes ago, somebody asked, uh, are we going to have a Bible reading tonight? We are going to have a Bible reading tonight. From Nehemiah chapter 8, let's start in verse 1. Maybe you remember the story. God's people, the Israelites, under the leadership of this guy called Nehemiah, Go back to the city of Jerusalem and they build the walls around the city. It takes them 52 days to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And here in Nehemiah chapter 8, revival takes place among the people of God. Let's start in verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spoke unto Ezra. Now Ezra is kind of like Bill. He's the religious spokesman, kind of the uh, preacher of the group. They spoke unto Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra, the religious guy, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him stood six men on his right hand and on his left hand stood seven guys. You didn't think I was going to read those names, did you? Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen. With lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7, The Levites, 13 of them in all, caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly or clearly, and they gave the sense, they gave the meaning, and they caused them to understand the reading. And that's Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. I want you to imagine it is 8... 46 on Sunday morning. 8.46. Bible class starts at 9.30. You have 44 minutes to be in church, right? The alarm has gone off. <laughs> it sounded, but you did not hear it. The first thing that you hear on this Sunday morning is the kind, sweet, polite voice of the man, the leader of the house, saying something like this. Wake up! You ever heard that on a Sunday morning? And that old Chinese fire drill begins. You know, mom's in the kitchen. She's cooking breakfast. She's having a hard time. She can't find the sugar for the cornflakes. You know what I mean, ladies? And the kids are yelling, but Mama, I can't find my shoes. I can't find my socks. Billy's got my pants. And Mom's yelling, get in here. Eat your breakfast. Don't spill that milk. Hurry up. We're going to be late. 
And about that time, Dad walks in, he puts on his coat, and a button pops off. Have you ever noticed that? A button always pops off when you're running late. Dad puts on his coat, and a button pops off, and he takes his coat in there to his wife, and he says, <coughs> Sweetheart, I, I, I'm missing a button. Could you sew it on? And she says, Are you crazy? But she knows she has to do it because, I mean, it's in the marriage vows, right? So she says, Give me the coat. He gives her the coat. She says, I want you to know something. I hate this coat. I hate the size of it, the color of it. I hate how the coat looks on you. He says, wait a minute, woman. You gave me the coat to me for my birthday. Well, she's forgotten about that. Her face turns red. She's embarrassed. She storms away. She sews on that button. She brings him the coat. She tosses him the coat. And she says, I want you to know something. This button has come off at the most inopportune time. And if it ever gets loose again, why don't you tell me? And they get in the car. This little family. They get in the car fussing and fighting and griping and grumbling every mile of the way to the church building. Dad has to drive 65 on these country roads to get here. He pulls into the parking lot. He does a donut. He spins the tires, you know. And Mom's getting out of her side and she's slapping the kid and Dad's getting out of his side. He's beating on the kid. And they run into this church building. Bible class is about to begin. And guess who they see? They see your preacher, Brother Bill. And Bill, in his outgoing way, is standing in the foyer, greeting the people. And he says to this little family, Hi, how y'all doing? And you know what Dad says, don't you? You've been there. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I mean, he even gets spiritual. He even quotes Scripture. You know, this is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Well, Bible class happens. And on this Sunday morning, the song leader, whoever he is, doesn't lead like our brother Bob. He doesn't lead with passion and fire and enthusiasm from the heart. The song leader gets up in this church and he just kind of drags through the songs. Come we that love the Lord and let our joy be known. And you're sitting there thinking, man, if that's joy, I don't need any sorrow in my life. And then the song leader says, hey, brother, lead us in prayer. And the brother gets up and he doesn't pray like our brother Don a few minutes ago. He doesn't pray specifically. He doesn't pray from the heart. It's just the same old, same old, same old words. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? He prays, thank you for this day and all its many. You prayed that, haven't you? And what about this one? Have you ever prayed for the sick? Bless the sick and the, what audience? Afflicted? Bless the sick and the afflicted. What about this one? God, guard, and... We've all prayed those prayers, right? I mean, it's just kind of words without meaning, without thought, without heart. And then the preacher gets up, and on this Sunday morning, he doesn't preach like your preacher. He doesn't preach scripture. He doesn't preach with fire and enthusiasm. It's kind of a... It's kind of a story or two, maybe a joke or two. And about halfway through the sermon, you're sitting there thinking, man, why am I here? About halfway through the sermon, you're sitting there thinking, man, I am bored out of my gourd. Why did I come? I tell you, folks, that's not what I see in Nehemiah chapter 8. 
I do not see something that is cold and dead and routine and boring. I see something that is very much alive. In fact, let me share with you three great truths, three great blessings that I see in Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to have some children to help me tonight. Eddie, if you would. First of all, I see reading. Reading. You can take it right over there where I told you. Very good. We had to fire Bill from last night, okay? <laughs> what can I say? These kids have taken his place. When I say reading, I'm talking about the reading of the Word of God. I want you to go back to Nehemiah chapter 8, and I want you to notice verse 5. I love verse 5. Ezra, the preacher, the priest, the religious guy, opened the book in the sight of all the people. He was above all the people. In other words, Ezra gets up and he does this, folks. He does this. He opens up the book. I like that. He gets up and he opens up the book of the law of Moses. I want to make a statement to you. You think about it. You be the judge of this statement, okay? When God's people assemble, the book needs to be opened. Would you agree with that? When God's people come together on Sunday morning and Sunday night, maybe a Tuesday night during the revival. See, the book of God needs to be opened. That's why from time to time I get up and I say, audience, open your Bible. Have you ever heard me say, open your Bible? <laughs> That's how I started a few minutes ago. Open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 8. Because when God's people come together, God, if there's going to be revival in the church, revival in worship, God must be speaking to the hearts of His people. So Ezra gets up and he does this. He opens up the book. He begins to read. Notice how long he read. This is amazing to me. Verse 3. He read therein before the street that was before the water gate. Now for some of you older people, you remember Watergate in Nixon's day. We're not talking about Watergate in Nixon's day. We're talking about Watergate in Nehemiah's day, okay? He read therein before the street that was before the Watergate from the, how long? What does your Bible say? My Bible says, morning, morning until when? Wow. Wow. Just think about that. Just ponder that. The preacher gets up, he opens up the book, and he begins to read. Scripture says he read from morning until lunchtime. Midday. Can you imagine if Bill did that this coming Sunday? Maybe he comes down here at 7 o'clock in the morning. Nobody's here. Sun's coming up. He unlocks the doors. He comes in. He gets behind the pulpit. And he begins to read. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And out loud, he just reads the Bible. You're a preacher. And that's 9.15. For two plus hours, he's been reading the Bible by this time, he's over in the book of Deuteronomy. Just reading. And people at 9.15 start coming in for the Bible class. And when you walk in, you're thinking, is he practicing his sermon? What's, what's up? What's Bill doing? But you sit down. And that's 9.30 and the people have assembled for Bible class. And it's, it's time to start Bible class, but there's no Bible class. Your preacher's just reading the Bible. And that's 10.30 and it's time for worship and, and he's still reading the Bible. And that's 11.30 and it's time to go home and you haven't sung a song, you haven't prayed a prayer, you haven't had communion, nor offering. Bill, your preacher is just up here reading the Bible. What would you do with your preacher? You'd shoot him, wouldn't you? I mean, brother, we want the preacher starting on time. And brother, we want the preacher stopping 
on time, right? I heard about a little boy, a little guest that went to the Church of Christ for the very first time. He had never been to the church in his life. He went with a little friend of his. And when it came time for the song service, the song leader got up, announced the first song, kind of like Bob did a few minutes ago. And the little guest, the visitor, leaned over and whispered to his pal, what does that mean? And the little boy, the little buddy, explained about the song service of the church. And then it came time for communion, and the men of the church came up, gathered around the table like we did on Sunday. And the little guest, the visitor, leaned over and whispered to his friend, what does that mean? And his little buddy explained about communion, how that the bread is the body of Jesus, the grape juice, the blood of Jesus. And then it came time for the sermon. And on this Sunday morning, the preacher got up, and as he usually did, he did this. He took off his watch, and he placed it before him. And the little guest, the visitor, leaned over and whispered to his friend, what does that mean? And the little boy said, that don't mean nothing, not a thing. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, folks, I'm telling you, here in Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, time didn't mean a lot to these people, did it? They weren't so concerned about time. Did you hear about the guy that got up and started to leave right in the middle of the church service? The preacher was up preaching. It was one of these old long sermons. And about halfway through the sermon, the guy got up to leave. And the preacher kind of shocked, didn't know what to say. He just stopped the sermon. And he called the brother. He said, hey, brother, where are you going? And the guy stopped and he said, well... Sir, preacher, I'm going to get a haircut. And the preacher said, get a haircut? Joe, why didn't you get one before you came? Joe said, I didn't need one then. Well, if you came tonight without needing a haircut, I hope you can leave without needing one. But I'm telling you, folks, time didn't mean a lot to these people. The preacher gets up, sun is coming up, night's lunchtime, what's he doing? He's reading the Bible. Let me tell you something. Not only did he read the Bible, he explained the Bible. I want you to go down to verse 8. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly or clearly. They gave the sense, they gave the meaning, and they caused the people to understand the reading. Again, one of my favorite all-time poems. He stands behind the sacred desk. A book held in his hands. And as he speaks, his brethren know he is a Bible man. Upon the scriptures, right and truth, he ever takes his stand to make the message clear and plain. He is a Bible man. He loves the grand old book divine. He loves to preach the plan. He loves the lost. His message saves he is a Bible man. Let skeptics doubt and heathen rage and build their hopes on sand. He loves and he lives and he preaches God's word. He is a Bible man. When worlds shall end and stars shall fall and before the throne we stand. Ah, uh, how sweet to hear the king's command. Come home. Come home, you Bible man. I, I, I want to pour out my heart to you folks. I, I, I want to be a Bible man. What about you? See, I, I want to speak where the Bible speaks. I want to be silent where the Bible is silent. If the Bible says it, I want to do it. If the Bible doesn't say it, I want to leave it alone. I want to thus set the Lord for everything that we do. And that's what we see in Nehemiah chapter 8. Ezra gets up, he opens up the book, he begins to read. And he not only reads the Bible, verse 8 says, he explains the Bible. I want to 
make a statement to you. Let me just try to talk through this one, okay? I don't want to scream and holler. I, I, I mean this, though, with all of my heart. I, I do want to be a Bible man. I, 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 want to, I want to preach the Word. But folks, what does it mean to preach the Bible? What does that mean? Let me challenge you with this thought. It doesn't necessarily mean that the preacher is going to get up and quote a hundred different verses. doesn't mean he's going to quote a hundred different verses. Now, I, I've been to some of those church services. Maybe you have too. The preacher gets up and he quotes this verse and he quotes another verse and he quotes here and he quotes there and he quotes this passage and he quotes another passage. And when the people leave, they leave thinking, Wow, wow, did you hear our preacher? He quoted a hundred different verses. Sir, what did he preach on? Hmm. Well, I'm not sure. Are you closer to God? Not really. You're going to be a better husband, a better wife? Well, no, but I tell you, our preacher is so smart. He's so brilliant. He quoted 150 different verses. Folks, I believe in quoting the Bible. I, I grew up memorizing the Bible, okay? And I believe in quoting Scripture. But do you realize that even the devil can quote Scripture? And I'll quote Scripture to prove it. Matthew 4, verse 6. Even the devil, even old Satan said, It is written. See, I believe in preaching the Word of God. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the Word. But what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that we get up and we present the Word of God. Maybe through quotation. Maybe through reading. But we present the Word of God. And then it means we give the sense. We give the meaning. We explain the Word of God. And when the people leave, they leave thinking, Wow. That makes sense to me. I understood that. You know, I'm going to be a better mother. I'm going to be a better wife. I'm going to be a better son, a better daughter. I'm going to be a better husband, a better father because I've heard God speak to my heart. It's kind of like the psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 11. Your word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Somebody put it like this, folks. This book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. Is that right or wrong? This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. And I'm just saying to you, if there's really going to be revival among the people of God, first of all, there must be the reading of the Word of God. Let me just ask you, are you a daily Bible reader? I'm just asking. How often do you open up the Bible and just say, Speak, Lord, kind of like Samuel, Speak, Lord, I'll listen. We feed the body every day, don't we? I mean, you guys feed your body two or three times a day. Had a great dinner tonight, right? That wasn't the first time you ate today. We, we feed our bodies two, three, four times a day. You ever feed your soul outside of this building? You ever just open up the Word of God and say, Lord, I, I want to change, speak, kind of like the Bereans? Acts 17, 11, they search the Scriptures daily. You feed your body every day. Feed your soul every day. I'm trying to bless you, folks. See, I want to help you. You're good people. And I want to bless your life. Get on a daily Bible reading program. Let God speak to you every single day. Can you imagine being able to pick up the phone and call our President of the United States? Have a conversation with our President? Folks, you can have a conversation with the one who created the President. God Almighty. Just speak to Him. Let Him speak to you. But I see something else. We've got to hurry. In the second place, Caden 
If there's going to be revival in worship, there must be not only the reading of the Word of God, there must be respect for the name of God. Respect for the name of God. I want you to go back to Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 3. Verse 3 of chapter 8. I hope that you have a Bible. We're just studying the Bible tonight. Verse 3 of chapter 8. He read therein before the street, that was before the water gate, from morning unto midday, before the men and the women, and those that could understand, and I love this part, the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Folks, I want to bear my soul with you tonight, okay? You might not be back tomorrow night, so let me just bear my soul. In America, I, I, I'm grateful to be an American, but I tell you, in America, we've lost our respect for God. I think I mentioned this in Bible class. Turn on the TV and somebody's flippantly, lightly using God's name in vain. Oh my. And we just throw out the name of God. Sometimes Christians do this. Maybe somebody shocks you or surprises you and, and you say, are you kidding? You're not kidding. Oh my. And we just throw out the name of God. And yet holy and reverent is His name. Psalm 111 verse 9. And didn't Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, set apart, is Your name. See, we've, we've got to respect the name of God. And we see that here in Nehemiah chapter 8. The preacher gets up, verse 3, and he begins to read. And notice what the people do. What do the people do? And the people, verse 3, were attentive. Maybe your Bible says they were, they were listening. They were listening to the book of the law. Folks, they were not playing with their babies. They were not daydreaming. They were not thinking about tomorrow. They were not thinking about what we're going to do after church. They were what? Listening. Listening. You know, I can tell when people are listening in church. Preachers can do that. Do you know that? You know, I mean, you're really not fooling us. See, I like to, I like to look at those that, that are listening. I really do. Because every once in a while, the listener's doing this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And sometimes he uh, is, mm-hmm, that's right. People are listening. Now, if I go down to the audience and I see somebody, you know, some people are really listening. Their eyes are open and their ears are open and they're listening. And then some people, some people are doing this. And then some people get carried away and they, they go overboard. They're doing this. Have you ever seen anybody do that in church? I remember I was preaching in a revival some time ago, marched back to the back, started shaking the folks out. And we had one of these guys right in the middle of the sermon. I mean, he fell asleep. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to stop the sermon, march back, kind of get in his face and say, <clears throat> Hey, hey! But I didn't. I just went ahead and preached. I marched back to the back, started shaking the folks out, and the guy walked out. You know what he, you know what he said? I enjoyed that sermon. And I thought, yeah, buddy, I bet you did. Bring the alarm clock the next time, would you? But these folks are not daydreaming. They're not sleeping. They are listening. Many, many years ago, there was a commercial when E.F. Hudson speaks. You remember? Everybody listens. And folks, when God Almighty speaks, when God the King speaks, out of respect... For the Creator, we ought to listen. That's how faith comes. Faith comes by listening and listening to the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. Many, many times Jesus says throughout this book, He who has ears to hear, 
Let him what? Let him hear. So if there's going to be respect for God, you've got to listen. But I see something else here. Go down to verse 5. Chapter 8 and verse 5. The preacher gets up. He opens up the book in the sight of all the people. He was above all the people. When he opened it, all the people what? They didn't do this. They didn't sit down like I'm sitting down. They stood up. Have you ever wondered why they stood? You know, in churches of Christ, we stand to sing. Uh, sometimes we stand to pray. Have you ever stood when the Bible is being read? Why do they stand? Well, here we are in a courtroom. A courtroom. And a judge walks in. Would the audience please rise? And everybody stands up. Why? Out of respect for the judge. Again, the President of the United States marches in here tonight. What are you going to do, folks? You say, Keith, I, President, President Obama, I don't like Obama. Hey, folks, like him or dislike him, out of respect for the office of the President of the United States, you're going to stand, aren't you? And folks, when God Almighty comes to church, the Holy Church of Christ needs to stand, if not physically in our hearts, we need to stand out of respect for God. So number one, they're listening. Number two, they're standing. And then go down to verse 6. Verse 6, the last part of the verse. And they bowed their heads. That was said a few minutes ago. Let's bow our heads to pray. They bowed their heads. Maybe your Bible says they got down on their knees. Let me ask you, when was the last time you bowed truly bowed your whole body in prayer. Think about it. I was preaching out in Texas some time ago, and I don't know why it occurred to me in Texas, but I thought, you know, it's been a long time since I have knelt to pray. So I tell you what I'm going to do from this day forward. I'm going to make up my mind. Every day that God gives me breath, I'm going to at least once a day, at least once a day, I'm going to, I'm going to get down on my knees to pray. You ever got down on your knees to pray? I know what some of you are thinking. Keith, <laughs> the trouble is not getting down. The trouble is getting up, right? Wait till you get to be 58 see what happens. But there's just something special about a man that would bow his body in conjunction with his heart. And I think about what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. So number one, they're what? They're listening. Speak, Lord, and I'll listen. Number two, they're standing. Number three, they are bowing in the presence of God. Why? Why? i tell you why. They respected God. And you know, the more and more I study about worship, the more and more I'm convinced that's really what worship is all about. It's bowing in the presence of the Creator. Psalm 95 and verse 6, Come and let us kneel down and worship. Let us bow and worship and worship the Lord our Maker. You say, Brother Keith, we need revival and worship. We need to pump things up. Well, Jesus did say, God is spirit and they that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And uh, to do that, first of all, there must be the reading of the Word of God. There must be respect for the name of God. And then in the third place, there must be response from the people of God. Dallas? Thank you, brother. I want you to go back to verse 6. Verse 6. Don't miss verse 6, folks. 
And Ezra blessed the Lord. What does that mean? He bragged on God. He gave God the glory, the great God. I heard about a preacher on one occasion who was asked this question, Sir, somebody said, Sir, uh, excuse me, what do you do for a living? And the preacher said to me, What do I do for a living? Well, sir, I just go around bragging on God. I like that. That's what preachers do. We go around giving God the praise, giving God the glory. We just go around bragging on God. And so Ezra gets up and he praises God and notice what the people do. All the people answered. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever noticed how hard it is for our people to say amen and worship? A few minutes ago, Don led a beautiful prayer. My prayer with you, my brother. We prayed from the heart. We came to the close of the prayer. I, I was kind of listening because I knew I, you know, this sermon was on my heart. Did you notice how silent we were? I know a few of you mumbled a little amen. But why don't we say amen in church, folks? I, I tell you, when you say amen to Brother Bill, when you say amen to a preacher, man, we preachers can preach. We can preach better. And we can preach with more enthusiasm. And we can preach longer. And it just occurred to me why some of you don't say amen when I preach. But every once in a while, people ought to say amen in church. You know when I get most of my amens? Uh, often they come on the very last night of, of the revival. Because on the last night, I usually get up and thank the ladies and the men who have cooked. And say something like, you know, we have some great cooks in this church. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. We, we've been eating great this week. Thank you, ladies. Right, guys? In my idea, there's a thundering amen. Now, I can get up in the same revival and say, God is good. We're going to heaven. Jesus died on the cross. And it's kind of like a tombstone, a graveyard. But I can get up and I can brag on the cooks of the church. We've had some wonderful meals. And it's though the, the guy, the husband is sitting there thinking, you know, man, if I don't say amen, my wife's not going to cook for me anymore. Amen! And there's a thundering amen. And I'm just telling you folks, once in a while to spiritual things, somebody ought to say amen in church. Do you see what I see? They're not sleeping in church. They're not daydreaming. They're, they're there and they're responding. They're with the preacher. They're together. They're worshiping God. And, and they're responding. And I'm saying... Not only the reading the Word of God, not only respect for the name of God, but there must be response from the people of God. Now, we're about ready to sing the invitation song. Let me tell you three groups of people who need to, here's the word, respond tonight. Three groups of people who need to respond. Number one, people who need to be saved. Do you know anybody who needs to be saved? Maybe we have some people in this audience. You've been thinking about it. You've been talking about it. You've been saying, one day I will. One day I'm going to be saved. I think about Acts chapter 8. A fellow from Ethiopia was doing this. He was sitting in his chariot and he was reading. He was reading the Bible. And a fellow by the name of Philip comes along and says, Sir, do you understand what you're reading? He says, Not really. I need somebody to teach me. And so they start right there in Isaiah 53 and the preacher talks to this guy about Jesus. Well, as they went on their way, you remember the story? They came to some water and this guy from Ethiopia said, Hey, preacher, preacher, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And do you remember what happened? They stopped the chariot. They went down into the water. The preacher in the center, the preacher 
baptized him, and when they were coming up out of the water, and that's really what baptism is, it's a going down to the water and a coming up out of the water. And I'm saying, folks, if you need to be saved, we have some people who need to be saved. You need to respond tonight. We've been praying for you. We love you. This church loves you. That's why we're having this gospel meeting. Because we care for the lost. So number one, those who need to be saved need to respond. You say, preacher, you're not talking to me. I was baptized when I was 12 years old. Oh, you were baptized when you were 12? Let me tell you who else needs to respond. Christians who sin. You say, Keith, that's all of us. It's true. But there's a difference in a sinner who's trying to do God's will and in a sinner who's not trying to do God's will. Maybe you're a baptized believer, but you've kind of been living in sin. Again, I think about Acts chapter 8. You remember the story? A fellow by the name of... What was his name? Simon. Mm-hmm. You remember? And the preacher's name was who? Do you remember? Philip was the uh, latter part of the story. In the middle part of Acts chapter 8, the preacher's name is Peter. Oh, Simon, the Christian, the baptized believer, Scripture says that Simon believed and was baptized. Acts 8, 13. And, and then Simon tries to buy the powers of God. And, and Peter, the apostle Peter said to Simon, Simon, your heart's not right. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe your heart's not right. Peter said, Simon, your heart's not right. You need to repent, change, surrender, and pray. He'd already been baptized. And what did old Simon say? Sir, preacher, pray for me. And, and so maybe you're a baptized believer. You were baptized back in the 1950s or 60s. And, and maybe recently you haven't been walking in the light. Your, your heart's broken the heart of heaven. And Maybe as old, old Simon, maybe you just need to come before this audience tonight and say, hey, would you pray for me? I need to be prayed for. Is there anybody in this audience that needs to be prayed for? So who needs to respond? Well, first of all, those that need to be saved. Number two, those that have sinned, Christians who have sinned, messed up. Maybe others know about it. Kind of like old Simon, pray for me. And I think there's another group that sometimes needs to respond. Those who are needing strength. Maybe you haven't sinned in some big, bad public way. Maybe you're just down. Maybe you're down financially or emotionally. Maybe you're down physically. Maybe you're down spiritually. And again, I think about Acts chapter 8. Acts 8 and verse 1. Scripture says at that time there was a great trouble, a great persecution against the church at Jerusalem. They were being hounded and tested every step of the way. The hounds of hell were at their heels everywhere they went. And they were discouraged. And maybe you're a little bit discouraged. Maybe you just need strength. And you just like to come and say, pray for me. Philippians 4.13 is biblical. Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So who needs to respond? Well, those who need to be saved, lost people. Christians who have messed up, maybe others know about it, kind of like Simon, and those who are a little bit weak. Maybe you haven't sinned in some big bad public way, you just need to say, pray for me. What's going to happen tonight? Are we going to stand and sing as if, uh, well, this is just the way we close the church service? Will anything good happen tonight? 
Will anybody come and say, man, I, I want to be saved. I, I want to be baptized tonight. That's all. You just come and say, hey, I want to become a Christian. I'll, I'll take it from there. Maybe you're a Christian. You just need to come and say, I'm struggling spiritually. Messed up. Pray for me. Maybe you're just down. You need some strength. We, we'd be happy and glad to pray for you. What's going to happen tonight, folks? Will anybody respond? You want revival in worship? There must be the reading of the Word of God. Respect for the name of God. And response from the people of God. You've listened well. Now it's time to respond.